That's good. Go to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We have so much more work to do today in the Bible than we have time for. So I will be cutting things out. But we're going to get right into it. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Let's go, Daniel. Um, it's, I love this church. Thank you. I love this group of people. Um, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor to be a part of it for four years, a little over four years now. Uh, June 6, 2015 is when I rolled in in my beat-up green camera. It's yep. still beat-up, still have it. Um, and, and, and since then, I have been honored to be a part of seeing it grow, seeing God's hand move in it, um, seeing God's hand move through it, uh, to, to go from a group of really young, and I mean, honestly, if we're going to be honest, pretty pretty dumb kids, right? Kind of B-team level kids. It was us, right? The mission team. Um, we, we, we love that about us, right, though. We were, we were the B-team. We, we made a lot of jokes about it. We're like, God works through the B-team, right? Yeah, right. Point of the Bible, so I have no issue being part of the B-team. Um, God grew that from, from being in a living room, okay, in a, in a really, let's be, again, let's be honest, a pretty janky house. Janky. That we got to a point where people didn't want to meet there for stuff because, you know, it's just, uh, now if that was the house's problem or the guys living in it, that still should be debated. Um, but, you know, from there, uh, look, look at this. I mean, look at this group of people. Right, and this is and this is the summer group. There's people traveling and off, and we've we've sent off, uh, you know, there's three house churches that God has planted through this church. It's been amazing to be a part of it, and you know, what? right around here, like right around here, is when churches begin to stall, just historically, all right, just statistically. So is that going to be us? I don't know, but I know right around this level where we're at. This age is when churches begin to stall, okay? Faith levels begin to stall. Um, and, and so what takes here is like a shifting of a gear to get to the next place where God wants us Amen. to be. Let's go. And you know what? It takes work to shift a gear. All right, you know, if you know how to shift a gear, um, if you know how to drive a standard car, you know, you can try to shift, you know, like, you know, catches and grunt, grunt, right, grinds, it can be kind of an ugly process trying to learn how to shift it. You know, I think that's just kind of how it is. Yeah. Yeah. But but I think we need to shift a gear. Come on. And this is what I think. This is what I think. You're talking with people, leadership, members of the congregation, uh, praying about I think something we need to do. We need to do this. We have to learn or relearn to love our neighbor. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Why? Why? Seventy-five percent of Eugene, seventy-five percent does not affiliate with any kind of religion. Okay? 25% does. 75% like we are the minority in this area. Wow. Okay? People that claim, okay, you know, I, I'm, I'm religious. I believe in God. I go to church. 20, that's 25% of the population. And, and man, you know what? I think it's going to take really learning to love our neighbor, to have an impact in a place that by majority does not care about coming to church on Sunday. You get me? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think, I think here's what the temptation is. We can be very, we can get really just kind of content with being religious, content with religiosity. I'm going to put in the Sunday, I'm going to put in the Wednesday, anything outside of that, like I'm going to wrestle you for that time. All right, I'll tell you something right now. Okay, so I think we need to do this to win the city of Eugene. I think we need to learn to love our neighbor to win the city of Eugene. I think we need to do it to rediscover this group right here, what it means to be church. Yeah. Right? Come on, Daniel. What it means yeah. to be the ecclesia. What it means to be the called out. We're going to need to learn what it means to love our neighbor. Uh, Luke 10, verse 25. 
Now, now this is our this is where we're camping out today. I mean, we just spend time here. It's gonna be our anchor text for the day. And I know it's risky to anchor ourselves in a, in a in a thing that we know very well. We're gonna do it. We're gonna go for it. You with me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Luke chapter ten verse twenty five. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" Okay, now this is good. Now picture yourself in a position. You get to ask the, the God of the universe one question. You get one to ask him. All right? Now I want you to think of what question you would ask God if you got to sit face to face and be like, all right, I've got one question. And what would you ask? This guy chose to ask about eternal life. And I'm going to give him credit because people didn't always ask Jesus about this, but this is a pretty good question to ask if you're coming face to face with God of the universe. What do I do to inherit eternal life? So I'm going to give him credit. It's a good question. Yeah. Okay, verse 26, Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and right here, like listen to me, if you underline, if you highlight, if you take notes, this right here, Jesus says, do this and you will what does he say? Live. Live. So what's on the line here of learning to love our neighbor? Life is on the line. Yeah. All right? Life. Do this and you will live. Now this is massive. Okay, this is massive. For I'm going to get off track here, so I'm just going to pull myself back. It's huge because there's a lot that we want to do to find life. Um, I'll pull myself back. Okay. So the, I, you, you would, we would see this a couple times in the Gospels where, where somebody, Jesus would encounter someone. I know it happens here. I know it happens when he encounters the rich young ruler. Maybe it happens more. But I know at least twice he asks somebody and somebody can, can rattle off the right answer. Man, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. So I've been doing this, I've been doing this, I've been doing this. They can rattle off the right answer. And Jesus would come back at them because they, even though they can rattle it, rattle it off, they, they know the answer. Inside, they don't believe it, they don't love it, they don't desire it, they don't obey it, but at least they can rattle it off. At least they can say the right thing. So Jesus would step into that and then break it down and, and tell them this is what it really means. This was like the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to break down the right answers to show people why they're the right answers, not just that they are the right answers. And so I would say, I've said this before and I'd say it again. If there's anybody that's at stake of being, okay, so what was this guy an expert in the law? If there's anybody at risk of being an expert in the law, if there's anybody at risk of being Pharisees, you know what, I, I think it's people in church like this, you and me. Yep. We're the ones at risk of being able to rattle off the right answers with no internal depth or desire to actually believe them, obey them, love them, desire them. Yeah. Right? It's us in this room, okay? So, so, the, so Jesus would then begin to give him the parable to teach him a lesson, and I believe it's the lesson that we need to learn here in this room today. Right? Keeps going. Verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So this is how we know, this is how we know his heart wasn't good behind the knowledge, okay? He said this to justify himself. He asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came across where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? Verse 37. The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, so he, he gives this parable to help the expert of the law. Now, this is, this is what it means. You want to know who's your neighbor? Okay, this is what it means. This is who your neighbor is. This is what it means to love your neighbor. And so he gives this illustration of somebody who's going from the road to, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Historically, a very dangerous road. People knew they would like people knew this is where people got attacked, robbed, beaten. Alright, so he chose this road intentionally in the parable. Okay? He says there's a guy going from here to there, Jerusalem, and he gets beaten by robbers. And so then three people interact with the dying man. Okay? A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. Now these three are not, this is not coincidence that he uses these three. Again, it's, there's a point here behind the three. Now, now, without getting too deep into it, I can say this. The priest and the Levite would have been the ones who would have known the right thing to do, but actively chose not to do it. Whereas the Samaritan, now the way that the Jews looked at Samaritans were like half-breeds, disgusting, unwanted, heathens, okay? But Jesus said, look, now the, the one who may not have memorized the law since they were eight years old, the one who may have not known the right answers, was able to live it out. Saying it's not just knowing the right answer, but living it out. He chose this man to display. This is what it looks like to love your neighbor. Okay, so a guy he never met, never knew, encountered him. Okay, and what did he do? He took care of him. He gave him money. He brought him to the inn. He gave the innkeeper money. Like, we know this. Like, we know this passage. He went above and beyond to take care of this man's needs. Now, I think I've got to pick, well, let, let me do this real quick. That's a little interaction here. How, how big, let's just get some guesses here. How wide are roads today? Like, if you just had to throw out a guess, how wide is a street? How wide is a road? 12 feet. Like 12 feet. Hey, one good. lane or? Oh, yeah, one lane. Let's go one lane. Sure. 50 feet. What? 50 feet. That's how wide? 50 feet? Okay, one lane. Any other? 30 feet. 30 feet. Okay, a standard road is anywhere between 9 to 15 feet. 12 is pretty good. Like standard one lane we're talking here, like on a highway, like 12 feet. Right? So you got one lane going this way, one lane going that way. We're talking like 24 feet. So when we hear Jericho Road, I think it's important to know what, what actually it was. Because I think we can think of like the, the, the dying man was like over there, and right? And then the, the priest and the Levite were like, okay, I'm just going to kind of ignore that. It's kind of off. And, but, but that's really not what it was like. Do we have the picture for, for the Jericho Road? That that's the Jericho Road, three to five feet across, the whole way, right? Like if you want to, know, if you just want to get an image for this, think a hiking trail. That's the Jericho Road, 
Okay, so not too different than this aisle we got right here. So Aaron, can you actually, can you do me right? We, we, we talked about this, we have a plan. Aaron is gonna just like lay in the aisle. Just go for it, buddy. Come on, Aaron, lay on there. Go for it. We talked about this. Okay, so, so this is kind of what we're looking at here. Right, so the priest and the Levite, they'd be walking on the road. It's not like the, the diamond would be way over there. It'd be right here. Okay, right here as they walked by. So here's why this is significant. Because it's not way off in the distance. They would have had to come face, like they would have to come right up next to a naked, bleeding, dying, beaten man. Confronted it. Be like, no, okay, I'm going to keep moving. Yeah. That's the reality of the situation. It's not like it was a long way out. Aaron did a great job. Thanks, man. Okay. Clap for Aaron. Clap for So here's the thing. They would have had to come right up next to this person. Even if it was on the other side of the road, they have to come right up next to him and confront it and choose, no, I'm not going to do something about it. Yeah. The people that would know the right answers, have the right information, right? That's the illustration. That's what Jesus is trying to put in our minds. I mean, that's the Jericho Road. That's the Jericho Road. I mean, I would ask this. I would ask this. Who are we just walking by in our life? hurting, dying, in need. We see him every day. We walk by him every day. And we choose to say, no, I'm not going to step into that life. I'm not going to do something about it. And if anybody's at risk of knowing the right answers but not loving them, believing it, knowing it, craving it, walking in, it's us, man. It's us. And so what's at stake? Life. Life is at stake. Deep, genuine, meaningful life. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Come on, Daniel. Come on, Daniel. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1. Galatians 6, verse 1. This is going to help us understand this a little bit deeper. Because like I said... I think it's going to be key to winning the city of Eugene. And I think it's going to be key to rediscovering. This group right here, rediscovering what it means to be church. Galatians 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. That's huge, right? Gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Pause. Just for a note here. All right? Pause real quick. So, so something massive that's happening that we can't, we can't gloss over. And again, if you mark, if you know, just like highlight, fulfill the law of Christ. So, so there's something about walking with one another in such a deep way that we actually begin to lift and carry and share the burdens that they feel in life. The pains, the anxieties, the fears, we actually begin to lift them and carry it with them. All right? He says, by doing this, there's something about doing this that we walk in and fulfill the law of Christ. Now, he may be speaking of like the two greatest commandments that Christ talked about. He may be speaking of the love one another the way I've loved you. I think something he's also speaking on, if you think about the law of Christ, what was the law of Christ? What was the covenant of Christ? Faith. Justice. That's the law of Christ. So there's something about walking with each other in this depth of a way that fills that law. 
mind-blowing. I mean, I, I just think that's cool. I don't even have anything else for you on that. I just think it's cool. They're walking in this way we get to fulfill the law of Christ. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing to someone else. For each should carry their own load. Okay, two things here real quick. Difference between burden and load. They use two different words for a reason. Burden is kind of referring to the, the, the weight that we carry in life, kind of the, kind of the hurts, that there's, you know, just like the stuff that we carry with us through day to day. The load being kind of like, man, your, your portion, what you've been allotted, what you've been given. And we've kind of each been allotted our own different portion in life. Each been allotted our own spheres of influence. Each been allotted kind of our own um, history, our own baggage. So right, there's this thing going on where at the, at the end of the day, like you're responsible for your load, but that doesn't create a license where we don't step in and help lift other, other people's burdens up in that load. It doesn't create a license for passivity. It's kind of going on here. Verse 6, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Now this is huge right here. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So, so here's, some, here's some really cool things that this scripture is trying to pause. Like, man, he's trying to teach us here. Do not become weary in doing good. So it is possible to grow tired doing the right thing. It's possible to grow weary doing good. So I just, A, take that as an encouragement. If you feel weary by living this life, if you feel tired by doing something, like that's not, like that happens. We feel tired. We get weary. But his caution for us is to not grow weary. Okay, so there's things in there that we need to learn how to not grow weary. I think number one, number one, we must always be rooted in Christ if we do not grow weary. We must always abide in him. That's right? so John 15. Go check that out. Later. Write that down. John 15. Uh, abide in him because apart from him we can do nothing. Right. There's a precedent in the Bible for prioritizing your relationship with God over every other thing <clears throat> out there. Okay? That's huge. I'll keep going here because a word that I circled in my Bible says, let's not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. Now here's what's amazing about the word will. He doesn't say at the proper time we might or at the proper time I'm hoping you will or at the proper time we'll pray that we do or at the proper time like let's just say like right now he says you will reap a harvest at the proper time. This is amazing. This is so encouraging to hear that through the weariness, through the pain, through the tiredness, like if you don't give up, we will reap a harvest. Like I think it's, we can grow tired being devoted to one another. We can grow tired. Like, like, I mean, just think back to the Good Samaritan parable. I, I think when we hear this is what it means to love our neighbor, we like almost instantly, I mean, if, if you guys anything like me anyway, like almost instantly begin putting up mental block. I will love up to this point. I'll be devoted up to here. On, Whether it's consciously or subconscious, I'm going to love to this. And then when I get to that bear, I'm like, nah, 
That's where I crossed the line. Like there's a precedent for, for treating holy your relationship with God and getting that kind of time where you're fueled by him. There's precedent for that in the Bible. There's precedent for treating special the relationship with your spouse. There's precedent for that in the Bible. I think something like, so there's precedent for taking care of yourself and kind of your spouse and doing that and having that self-ministry. But I'll tell you this right now, nowhere in the Bible do I see the concept, the idea of self-care valued as much as we value today in life. I mean, here's what I think behind that. I think the reason why, I don't know, but I would guess, I would think it's because we walk in communities that are more draining of each other than they are building and giving. So where else do we go but inward to take care of ourselves? When we don't walk in a community where we love one another like this, where we carry burdens, where we do life so deeply that man, we, we feel the weight of things, we help carry things. There's no, there's no precedent in the Bible for self-care the way I see it in our, in, in our society. There's precedent for taking care of your relationship with yeah, your spouse. But if anything, I don't see a command for self-care. I see a command for self-sacrifice in the Bible. Yeah. Greater love has this. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down their life for one another. Does that sound like a self-care scripture? So I think we can get so caught up in not sacrificing for one another. So of course we would look elsewhere to be taken care of. Of course we would. I would. So it's my hope that we'd be devoted to one another. That we care for each other like this. We love for one another like this. And we will reap a harvest. We will. If we don't give up. If we don't give up. So as a church, I don't want us to give up here. I want us to shift this gear. I want us to get past this kind of space. And it's going to take being devoted to one another. Loving one another. Here we go. Let's, let's finish this verse out. Verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So if you have an opportunity to do good, then you do it. You go for it, and you trust that God's going to bless it. You trust the right time, there'll be harvest reap from it. If you have an opportunity to do good, you do it. And then even especially to this room right here. Like, man, if, if we're not devoted to each other in this room, how can we hope to be devoted to people outside? How can we hope to do that? So that it starts here in this room. We're devoted to one another. That we love one another like our neighbor. And, and like right the way Jesus defined it. The way the good Samaritan helped the dying man on the road. That's what it means to love our neighbor. So, so when we picture that parable, when we picture the dying man on the road, it's my hope. I mean, I mean, do this real quick with me right now. Look to your left. Do it. Look to your right. Some of you are on the end. I know you're not looking at anybody. That's your neighbor. <laughs> person God is putting next to you is your neighbor. Yeah. I think we forget that in this room. Man, I so want us to be a room that, that takes care of one another. I don't excel at this all the time. Man, I think it'd be foolish to think we're perfect at this all the time. I do think there's a drop. I just do. So that we could go after this together. Be devoted to one another. To take care of one another. Man, and by all this, all men will know you're my disciples. If you love one another the way I've loved you. All men will know you're my disciples. There's a power in this kind of love for one another. And I ask you this. Who are you passing by in your life that you're not taking care of? Do you feel like this is a church that takes care of one another? 
I mean, I mean, even ask this. Don't get selfish with it, but do you feel taken care of in this community? Don't get selfish with that. It's a good question to ask. Good question to ask. Um, let's do this. We'll close out. Let's close out. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 2. Come on, Daniel. You know, debated going here, but I think it's a good, good way to kind of end this. Be cautious of time. We have a fellowship break now, so that changes things, all right? But we, I mean, be careful to end this year. So here's what I think why we stall. Here's what I think why we, we plateau in our faith. Here's what I think why we, we get off the track of being devoted, caring for one another, loving our neighbor in this way. Here's what I think why this happens. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. My people have committed two sins. Okay, so there's two things. It's God. Talking to Israelites, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Okay, so number one, the Israelites got into a place where they were like they were connected with, with God. Like, like, let me just say this real quick. The, the, the language the Bible would use to describe the relationship between us and God, to describe how the, the way God views you. You want to know the language it uses? Is bride. We're his bride. We're his adopted family. His adopted children. Jesus would call us friends. I think we, we forget. I do. I think we forget constantly the love God has for us. I mean, just think about it, man. Like, think about a wedding. I mean, we've seen the weddings where there's the groom standing, right? And as the bride walks down the aisle, the groom just becomes like this... The snotty mess, right? Face red, tears coming out, snot, kind of dripping down. And she's the bride walking down. Like, I think we forget. Like, that's how God looks at you. Yeah. That's how God views us as the church, his bride, his beautiful bride. I think we forget this. We forsake him. We turn to other things. And God's like, why? What, what, have, I, what have I done for you to leave me? What in me has changed that you've left? We all forsake him, believe him, tempted to do this. The spring of living water, where true life comes from. True life comes from God. Yes, that's number one. We forsake him. Now, check this out. I love this. And have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns <clears throat> that cannot hold water. So we forsake him. We begin to think, okay, God, you know, it's not, you know, it's not, doesn't love me. It's not beautiful. Doesn't. Uh, doesn't look at me as beautiful, like can't, can't take me. And so we get to this place where like, okay, I know better. I know something that will give me life. And so just as the Israelites did, right, just the, the illustration giving here, instead of holding and clinging fast to God as, as, the, as the, the spring of life, they would go and you say we begin to dig their own wells. So, so they would see this beautiful, flowing, rushing stream of water, like, we get that here in Oregon. We know what those look like, right? Water's everywhere. It blows my mind how much water's around here. Like, waterfalls are amazing. When I moved here from the desert, right, from, like, that, I would, I would like, drive around and see a pool of water. I'm not even kidding. On the side of the highway, and be like, how did that get there? How does that happen? I have this gushing, flowing stream of water. You're like, you know what? That's not that great. I'm going to go dig a well. It will do so much better. That's what the Israelites did. That's what we do. And, and not just another well at that. Out of pride, out of maybe insecurities, out of selfishness. Not just build another, build a cistern. But check this out. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. 
So, so not only do they, do we go off and build cisterns of our own, of our own design, of our own desire. Um, they don't even hold the water we're hoping that they would. They're, they're not even holding the water that we want them to hold. They're broken. They're leaking. Right? And then this is, what the, this is kind of how God is describing the relationship between the Israelites and him. And man, this is true for us today. I would ask, what cisterns are you building in your life that are not God? And why do you think they're going to be so much better? I don't know. That's a legit question. Ask it. Did you know you could actually pray to God? God, I don't really know if you're going to do this. Did you know you can actually pray an honest prayer to God? Actually bury your heart to him? That kind of a crazy thought. I heard ask, what cistern am I building? It's not God. God, why am I doing this? Help me understand. Because I see I'm doing something that's off here. How do I, help me. How do I rely on you? I'll just preach a couple things here real quick on this idea of being a bride, being a friend uh, of God. I think sometimes we're just convinced that if the people around us, this is related to how we love one another, if the people around us knew who we really, really were on the inside, they would love us. When people really knew the kind of music I liked, people really knew, man, the junk that I've got in my heart, they wouldn't want to be my friend. If God really knew me, he wouldn't want me. It's not true. It's not true. God looks at you as his bride. He wants to adopt you as children. So what, what cisterns are you going to that's not God? He's like right here saying, no, here, I'm at the aisle. Come to me. I want you. Right? So it would be my hope and my, my encouragement, man, that we continually look at Christ as we consider how we love one another, how we're devoted to one another, you know, where, where the cisterns were going to. Because, man, you know what? Like Christ loved when it was inconvenient, man. Christ loved when he was getting mocked. Christ loved when he was getting beaten. Christ loved when he was dying. Christ loved when others didn't understand why he was loving. Christ loved and gave of himself when others said, no, we're going to fight here. Christ loved. It's my hope that that can be us here in this room today, devoted love one another. Same way he loved us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray for communion. God, I really pray that as we think, we dwell on your cross here today, that, that we get that's the, the objective evidence of how much you love us. The objective evidence of what you're willing to go through to love us, to present us as your bride. And I pray that we use that love that we use your example, that we look at the Good Samaritan and see, man, that's what, that's, you were to us. You were the Good Samaritan to us. You found us when we were dying. You found us when we were bleeding. You found us when we were at our worst, and you said, you're mine. You're my bride. You're my friend. You're my son. You're my daughter. That's who you were for us. And we tap into that. We wake up every day excited to be your bride, excited to be your friend, excited to be your daughter, excited to be your son. Now that we see the cisterns that we're building in our life, that we're going to for life that aren't you, and we, we, we see that you just expose the leaks in them. Now, I, I would pray that you break them. You break the cisterns in our life that we're turning to instead of going to you, the endless, eternal spring of living water. God, we see that love, and then we use that love to inspire us, to empower us, to impact us. Like, this is how Christ loved me, and I'm going to go and love my neighbor this way. God, we need you to do this. Soften our hearts to your word. Soften our hearts to one another. God, help us to give our lives to each other. We lay down our life for another. That's how you called us to love. We lay it down. 
It's so easy to grow weary doing that. God, I grow weary doing that. I know people in this room are growing weary. And just how Todd said, there's people in this room right now like, they're more weary than I've ever been in my life, and I don't even get it. But I do know you say, don't give up. It's the right time when we need. God, help us to prioritize our relationship with you above all else. Abide in you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Please help us just be at the foot of your cross today. Humble, grateful, God, eager. Godly sorrow, an eagerness to see justice done, a longing to clear our names, an indignation. We strive to push towards you, compelled by your love for us. God, help us to be. Help us to see how you've been the good Samaritan to us. Help us to see how we can be the good Samaritan people in our life who are just walking by. Oh, I pray that this church would be a community that loves one another this way, that takes care of one another this way. Feel love, support, one, need, desire. We all have to engage in doing this. We all do. There's a place for everyone here to do that. And I think there's sometimes we can think there's not a place for us at the foot of your cross, but it's just not true. We, we can think that, man, you know, I've done something so wrong. I can't be in this room. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve your love, God. And you just preach and you preach and you preach against that over and over and over again in the Bible. Help us walk in confidence that you desire us as you brought. It's a beautiful, amazing thing. God, we need you. We love you. For all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you.